a scale of turd to really turd, just how bad was United's performance against Southampton? Uh, yeah, it was pretty terrible. That second half did not have the um, catalyst of... The, the, not catalyst, the catharsis of three last-minute goals to make it 4-0 no. to make the game feel good. What was going on there? I mean, United was second best before Lukaku's goal and it was about even for the rest of the first half uh, and then it was all Southampton and uh, by the end it was a, a sort of 9-0-1 formation um, Mourinho had. Classic Mourinho, that is. Uh, but I guess, look, the positive about this is that in previous seasons that would have ended up 1-0. Uh, yes, I mean, we're we're keeping the count right the count is now up to six of eight points on that what is was it 24 we've got to get to well we're well on the way to that already um another two points we uh we have over the equivalent performance last season nil nil right near the back end of the season when uh, Mourinho played a bunch of reserves and stuff because uh, he was prioritizing the Europa League so so it's a massive win and, and it was huge to hold out but the performance was Pretty terrible. I, I was pleased to see the starting eleven. Um, you could say that that was definitely a, a big sort of statement intent, statement of intent, sticking with the four two three one and all that stuff, and and it paid off with that goal. But then just everything went really badly wrong, and and maybe that that might have been the most Mourinho, the most amount of Mourinhoing we've had since the uh, since the second leg of the Europa League final. Yeah, second leg of the. The second half, yeah. Second leg of the Europa League semi-final. Semi-final. Sorry, yeah. semi-final. Yes, I mean it was it was very very negative and unnecessarily so. I mean it's not as if Southampton have been in stunning form. They've they've lost just the once in the Premier League, well until today, and uh, and to Wolves in the the League Cup uh, and a couple of draws. You know they've they've been sort of middling form. So, but they it, they just they haven't scored any goals. No, right. So it was a weird, weird way to approach the second half that that terrified of them scoring. Yeah. um, I think Mourinho sort of shit himself. I mean, maybe he just felt, uh, felt that his team just wasn't on it today. Maybe, maybe one of those days, look, uh, United are definitely going to play better this season than that. So we'll, we'll chalk that one up to the bonus column, won't we? You know, remember Sam Allardyce had his gold, silver, bronze and bonuses. This is a bonus because we played crap and still won, uh, which, is fair enough. And look, Lukaku scored again. He's now got um, six in seven games and would have had seven in seven if he hadn't missed that penalty. He's got eight in eight. If you, eight in eight. Yeah, you include the um, the Super Cup. Yeah, uh, we so do. The, the man is in incredible form, uh, which is delightful. He's, he's. I wrote an article for you, Max, about how he. it's reminding me of the Van Persie season, not just because a new striker's come in and hit the ground running and scoring loads. It's the kind of, we knew he was good. We didn't know he was quite this good. That That's my thing. Mm. I say we, I but, mean But me, why you know. is he this good? Is it because he's like, you know, physically strong and a beast? Or is, or is there something more about him? Well, I mean, of course, his physical strength is a tremendous asset as, as you know, his physicality is is phenomenal. And, and yep, that's a, a major part of his asset. I, I, I think there's a potential that that might not be the only thing that, that you know, is uh, about Romelu Lukaku. He might just be one of the most studious centre-forwards in the game. Uh, Roberto Martinez at the age of 20 saying of uh, Lukaku that he was um, a student of the game in a way very few 20-year-old footballers were. Um, Greg Johnson, uh, the new editor of London uh, football.london, um, and former editor, uh, features editor at Squawker said to me that he loves the fact that Lukaku is such a geek about being a centre forward, and he is. He loves it. He's mm. and and you can see him. You can see that thought translating itself onto the pitch as he pulls yeah. defenders all over the place. I, I think he's actually a very very intelligent footballer. Uh, unfortunately, the dog whistle hasn't been taken back by some people who. Uh, who uh, uh, labelled him as nothing more than a, a physical player. But that's a shame. Uh, we'll have more of that later in the show. <laughs> Should we just do uh, it now? Should we just get out of the way? Well, do we have anything more to talk about about the Southampton game yeah, I mean, first? Lot, lots to talk about, I guess. The, the substitutions by Mourinho. I mean, the, the Mkhitaryan <laughs> for Smalling. Yeah, <laughs> um, not, awesome. Yeah. Not that Mkhitaryan was having a good game, partly because he was playing right wing back. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a, uh, one heck of a... Defensive role of the dice from Mourinho, and mm. I was thinking about this. The, the one, um, the one maybe generous reading you can give it, rather than Mourinho, Mourinho just bricking himself, 
was the fact that we've got an away game in the Champions League in Moscow on Wednesday. And so there's a lot of travel. Uh, it's a really important game. Maybe like not rolling the dice with Martial, maybe Lingard is planning to have involved in that game or whatever. There's, you know, maybe some of that is to do with what his plans are for Moscow, but it, it didn't, I mean, that, that didn't occur to me until after the full-time whistle, I have to say. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, I thought this was just a classic Mourinho reaction when, when his team isn't playing very well. So may, maybe it's Moscow in mind, but he didn't make any changes to the team you know, versus Everton. So nothing substantive. My, my only, uh, coming back to the team selection while it's top of mind, my only sort of comment on that was that um, after after United's victory against Burton, which we'll, we'll cover, um, you know, Anthony Martial was uh, man of the match, outstanding performance, and he was asked, why, why is Martial playing so well he said because he's happy and uh, because he's a confidence player and he's getting some time and scoring goals and and then of course he gets dropped um which I can totally understand because he likes the control that one matter brings to the the team and Mkhitaryan is obviously a sort of favorite of his in the even if he is a bit you know uh, you know not not always making the right decisions at number 10 um, and obviously Rashford gives him that kind of defensive side of things as well so I understand fully the decision but I mean man that is harsh, harsh on Anthony Martial after a really really fine performance in midweek yeah I really hope he's planning to play Martial in Moscow I really do I really hope that he's in the starting 11 and then that will kind of make sense of it a little bit especially if he's done the kind of Fergie thing and said oh, there's a game I really need you for in a few days time so that's why we're not using you in this one I mean but I have to say it's not in Mourinho's nature necessarily when United are 1-0 up to bring Martial on unless it's a I don't. In fact, out of all the games so far, I don't, maybe at Swansea brought him up, brought him on at one nil up. But there's definitely uh, once if it's one nil, he prefers a different a different option to mm. to injecting Martial into the team, which is such a shame because I mean, like like you said, there isn't there isn't a logical sub, there isn't a logical reason. I mean, there's not a logical player to drop out of that attack because Rashford scored two against Burton and looked kind of on fire himself, and he, yeah, yeah. he'd been struggling the game before so uh it was probably good not to knock his confidence but yeah Marcel was playing a command possessed against Burton Rashford had a more difficult game against Southampton uh, eventually substituted for Daily Blint but by that stage Rashford was playing a second left back anyway I wouldn't even call him a left winger at that stage I mean it was United were playing two full backs in front of two fullbacks, uh, three central defenders and two holding players and saw Lukaku 50 yards away from his teammates. Three holding players, Herrera, three Fellaini players. and Matic, all holding. Yeah, yeah. nice. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, there was this game, I was playing Football Manager 2011 and I was managing Sunderland and uh, that was before the uh, end of that season when Sunderland became the enemy, right? Um and we were playing against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. And I was looking at the two teams. They're kind of going to get absolutely hammered here. And I literally put two fullbacks in the fullback spots and two other fullbacks in the wingback spots and had them play wingback defensive. And uh, they won 1 0. <laughs> and that was like, that's exactly what Mourinho did. He just lined up Rashford in, in that left wingback sl- slot ahead of uh, Ashley Young at left back. Mm. Uh, Young. Joy. Young not improving his assist ratio because Romelu Lukaku's header was saved and then he scored the rebound. So um, Lukaku assisting himself again. He took one assist off Mkhitaryan the other week and it's taken one off Young here. So the ratio stays the same. Yes. Yeah. A few people on Twitter asking that one. How, how much is, uh, how much is uh, you know, per goal or assist uh, Ashley Young? I, I did a little, it's a little bit rough uh, because I, I can't tell you exactly what he's been earning, but around 110,000. Uh, pounds for 326 weeks, uh, plus a 14 million pound fee. Works out to uh, a little bit over 1.5 million and a little bit of change per goal or assist for Ashley Young. <laughs> Bargain. Cheaper half the price. <laughs> yeah, uh, good stuff. Um, fun, funny thing is, he scored like 10 goals and seven assists the season before he came to United. So maybe he'd found his level at Aston Villa. Uh, now finding his level at left back, he wasn't too bad today, and and uh, he seems to have the nod at the moment. I guess he's just a, just a bit more physical and mobile than Daily Blint, and um, uh, definitely more attacking than Matteo Damian and, and Luke Shaw's not fit yet. Yeah, uh, it was lovely to see Luke Shaw against Burton. Um, ah, let's talk about the Burton game before we get into the miserable stuff that's making me sad. Um, the Burton game was a joy. 
you wondered whether it would be a, a long, challenging night where Burton stick 11 men behind the ball and frustrate United. But no, Marcus Rashford made short work of that, scoring off an absolutely glorious touch by Jesse Lingard. Uh, beautiful little layoff round the corner. Really reminded me of the ball that he played on the outside of the box for Pogba's screamer against either Feyenoord or Fenerbahce last season. Um, mm. he's, he's really... He's really smart at knowing what's going on around him as Jesse Lingard. Not always the execution, but the uh, the ideas are very often right. Yeah, uh, I thought him and Rashford and uh, Martial in particular were great against Burson. I mean, look, you have to kind of say it was only Burson. It was only Burson. Yeah. Uh, actually, it was only Burson reserves because they dropped a few <laughs> of their key players in order to arrest them. Um I listened I listened back to last week's show and I'd said, Oh, I don't think it'll be like when Mick McCarthy brought Ipswich's reserves. Um, but it was in fact like Yeah, that. and and look, um and they did themselves proud really. They didn't cave, they got a consolation goal at the end, which I'm sure David Hay was pretty annoyed about. I'm oh, sorry, not even David Hay, was it? It was uh, Joel Pereira by that time, uh, who made a bit of a rick. Um uh, you know, but yeah, the attacking play was good. It was uh, very fluid. It was fun to watch. It was uh, really uh, the antithesis of what we saw at Southampton, really. Maybe that was it. Mourinho was like, well, you've had a bit too much fun there, so I need to dial it back. The fun count has to come back to normal levels for the week. I mean, the opposition, the level of the opposition is obviously a crucial factor in this, but Anthony Marcel's performance was, I mean, it was completely electrifying. He, he, he nearly did a repeat of the Liverpool goal, um, just kind of stroked the ball. And I, uh, we had a little joke in the WhatsApp and you said if only he could finish, at which point he promptly scored a, a lovely goal tucked tucked into the inside of, uh, yeah. inside of the post. Uh, the, the, at, at Vernadale on Twitter says, why the hell didn't Martial feature? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess I'm hoping that the answer to that is just Moscow. Um, a few other comments about uh, the Southampton game uh, Phil Jones he, he's playing the football of his life isn't he at the moment he was absolutely impeccable I thought yeah I mean yes uh, yeah my pro Phil Jones status is, is long established and uh, it's not it's not slipping I, I think he's I think he is clearly an exception I mean Mourinho is just a perfect manager for Phil Jones because he's just such he's just so good at getting performances out of centre-backs and we all know Jones always had the talent what are we now? Near the back end of September. I mean, it can't be long now, right? But for now, let's uh, let's just enjoy it. At Zavi, uh, Z-A-V-E-H-I on Twitter says, how crazy is Phil Jones on a scale of one to ten? <laughs> he's, uh, he's out there. He is out there. He is not afraid to put his body on the line. Um, he's, uh, he's still crazy after all these years. <laughs> he is. And then he's turning into uh, the great centre-back that, you know, Alex Ferguson once said... He could be United's best ever player. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and on a similar theme, uh, we will do actual Twitter questions later, but since I'm looking at them, Kriko MUFC, that's K-R-I-K-O-M-U-F-C, asks, um, how long before uh, our £30 million uh, centre-half Victor Lindelof gets frustrated? Oh, I think we've got plenty of time yet. I mean, he played against <laughs> Burton, looked a little bit shaky. <laughs> this, is, this is very Nemanja Vidic 2006. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. Yeah, let's hope so. So, Burton, Burton, I mean, you know, comfortable victory, really. Uh, exciting attacking play, generally good at the back. Um, I thought it was really nice to see Joel Pereira get a, another game. Obviously, he's uh, one of Jose's uh, fellow countries Countryman, so he's a big, big favourite of Jose. He's, he's gone out of his way to say how good Pereira is. Um, he's sort of stuck behind the world's best goalkeeper at the moment. So, uh, and he won't have, and, he won't, well, and, and, and David Haya, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was going to say Romero, excellent, uh, one brilliant save from Romero before Pereira came on. Um, the the one where the the chap tried to lift it over him and right, yeah. Romero just read it perfectly. Yeah, I mean, and look, I have to say, you know, I watch enough of the reserves to to know that Pereira is uh, you know, a top quality goalkeeper in the making. He he needs to go out and low and get some uh, miles under his clock. I think it's not going to do him much good staying at United until he's like twenty three or twenty four, all just playing stiffs football. Um, he's do good for that, but you know, unless De Gea moves on. 
he's not going to get a game at United for another 10 years or so. Uh, so, I mean, you know, uh, but I think he'll have a good, he'll have a good career either way. Um, the, the, the starting 11 was interesting. No kids apart from Marcus Rashford, um, who does not count anymore in that category. Um, no kids as such. We were speculating that Twan Zebe might be likely to play. Um, he, I believe was injured. Um, and that's why he didn't feature, uh, Scott McTominay came on. Um, but Michael Carrick, started and there was a moment where Herrera uh, like locked knocked a long ball forward and didn't pass to a guy standing next to him and I spent quite a long time just looking at my TV going who who's that person that he didn't pass to and I couldn't get my brain to work it out and then suddenly it was like oh yeah 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 of course of course of course I know who Michael Carrick is he's still here he was he was pretty decent lots of uh, lots of fine Michael Carrick-esque passes in that yeah um all right, look, let's talk about the chant came out at Southampton, uh, the Romelu Lukaku chant. There's been much debate uh, on about this chant on the internet, uh, prompted, I think, by um, Scott's uh, article on uh, Rom saying, how about we just sing about how mint our player is rather than about the size of his dick, um, which was spot on, you know, as, as Scott is mostly. Um, and uh, then a lot of national coverage about it, uh, kick it out. Yeah, anti-racism body saying it's a stereotype and it should be stopped. It's racism. Uh, Lukaku eventually coming out and saying he'd rather fans didn't sing it and moved on. Um, most sensible people coming out and saying this needs to stop now. And yet it was still sung at St Mary's. What's your take? Uh, yeah, it was sung along with a rousing chorus of we're Man United, we'll sing what we want. Yeah, fine, sing what you want. Uh, you can be... Uh, racist if you want. Um, there will be people listening to this annoyed at the political correctness of this. There will be people going, what about the park chant? What about the this? What about the that? What about you shut up? <laughs> what about you open your mind and listen to why this chant is a problem as opposed to looking for all the reasons that you don't want it to be a problem? Maybe the first time you heard this chant, you thought, oh my God, this is hilarious. And uh, listen, there's no judgment here if that was your initial reaction. If you're a scumbag, if you're an actual racist, then who cares what you think, right? But assuming that's not you and you thought this was hilarious, uh, it's probably likely that you don't know the history. Uh, you probably don't know why uh, there is a why this stereotype exists. Look into it. Do, do the research, find out why this stereotype exists, and then tell me you think this is funny. Um, well, look, it's really simple. I'll give you the 30-second answer on that one. It's about debasing black men uh, and turning them into animals. And, in fact, this is exactly what happened um, during uh, long periods of uh, deep oppression over black people in the States where the fear of black men uh, raping white women was, you know, a, a story uh, and used uh, in multiple lynchings and in court and people uh, went to the electric chair as a result of uh, this because they used to electrocute rapists in the States. So, you know, and, and much deeper than that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the starting point for deeply insidious racism as well. I, I actually have no patience. I try to argue with people on Twitter about this, but... Uh, uh, I'm afraid if you just don't get it, you're just too ignorant to understand. It's, it's, this is really very deeply offensive uh, and it needs to stop. And United fans have got to be better than this. And they aren't. And that's that's clear. I mean, you know, they'll they'll sing about Suarez being racist because it suits the narrative because he's a Liverpool player. But the, as a collective, you know, in this is a long time ago now, right? But when we saw QPR beat um, United 4-1 and we were walking out of the ground on New Year's Day 1992, some geezer goes, I can't believe we lost to a black team. So, like, it's not... that That's just one geezer, sure. But, you know, this is... United fans, uh, there is a kind of uh, broad spectrum whereby, like, um, people, Asian people, black people were more welcome at the big clubs than they were at the more parochial clubs in the 70s and 80s. That is something to be proud of. But there's plenty of racism too. And the thing is... People don't know that this is racist. They don't know they're being racist. 
that th- this has to be part of the analysis because I don't, I don't, there are some people that wouldn't care, but I think people think they're being a bit politically incorrect and a bit fun with it. You know, a lot of people have said to me, what about the park chant? Someone even said, before I took a little Twitter break, someone even said, have you ever sung the park chant? And I was like, come on, you obviously don't know me, right? <laughs> obviously, I haven't sung the park chant. But, like, I'm not the, the tent player here. I'm, like, a ridiculous lefty. I'm not going to sing that chant for a whole variety of reasons, not least of which council housing is actually a really good thing. So that's, like, not least of which. But actually... There is a solid argument to say that my objection to the park chant is about political correctness. It's about not wanting to label a person based on their difference, not necessarily wanting to bring a kind of national stereotyping into it. The Chris Morning chant, he's big and he's black and he plays at the back. Now, for me, I don't really like that chant. But that's because of political correctness. I don't really like the fact that his difference is the thing that's being pointed to here. I don't think that's really necessary or helpful. Those two objections, I believe, are political correctness. My objection to the Lukaku chant isn't political correctness. It's about straight-up racism. They're two different things. They fit into different categories. I don't like either of them. I don't expect other people to agree with me on them. Um, hmm. Well, um, hmm. I think they should agree with you on the last <laughs> oh, one. And, yeah. and uh, it's, it's worth keeping on banging on about this until they get it, you know. Look, and I'm, look, I'm really aware that we're a couple of, you know, reasonably pr- privileged white guys, at least on a global scale, you know. We're, we're doing well for ourselves uh, and we're white. Uh, and with all that white privilege, which means not being labelled yeah. as anything just because we're white, that's white privilege. Yeah. Um, I, I realise the potential for sort of hypocrisy in this um, or, or that people might think we're being disingenuous, you know, um, and, and uh, you know, I've had that accusation. So if you don't believe me, go and read the timelines or the pieces posted uh, by uh, much superior brains than mine about why this is so wrong. And, um, and uh, hopefully you'll uh, go away with uh, feeling a bit enlightened. You know, and this comes in the context of uh, we had today the President of the United States um, having a rant about uh, Colin Kaepernick again, you know, NFL quarterback who can't get a job now because uh, he protested against police violence against black people in the States um, and uh, said anyone disrespecting our flag should be fired and so on and so on and so on, you know. Um, and, you know, the, the, it, I don't even know if that's a dog whistle, that's a dog horn. Yeah, I mean, he's... You know, I mean, that, it's his straight playing to the base yeah. um, and, uh, it's, you know, again, you know, a deeply offensive um, uh, statement and using the power of the presidency to amplify it. And I'm afraid I think that globally that has enabled more people to go, oh, that's political correctness, you know, and and they're just wrong. And I don't really care if people don't like our left wing bent on that one. And, And yeah, I mean, there are a lot of things about which I have a left wing bent. I do not believe this to be one of them. This is I, the other thing I saw, like, uh, you know, I, I saw people saying, like, it's only white people getting upset about this. And, uh, God, I wish that was true. <laughs> like, uh, I wish the people who aren't the people that are being uh, negatively, directly negatively affected by this were the only people getting upset about it. But do you know what? That isn't what's happening. So uh, Kick It Out said it was racist, right? They're the, they're, they didn't mess around with that. There wasn't any um, subtlety in the language. There's no subtlety here. If you want to sing a racist chant, sing this chant. If you don't want to sing a racist chant, don't sing this chant. If you don't think this chant is racist, it is because, like, everything I've ever said about football on this show might be wrong. I've never, there's no opinion that I've ever uttered on this show about football. Like, remember the Johnny Evans thing? But not even that, like, things that are much more sensible than that, I I, I could definitely be wrong about any of those. Lots of my political opinions, um, I might be wrong in the end. Uh, They're based on a set of beliefs. Some of it might be wrong. This one isn't complicated. This one, there's no room for doubt. There's no, oh, maybe this is the case. Maybe this isn't the case. I'm sorry we've talked about it so long in a way, but I'm also not sorry we've talked about it so long because it's so important and because there is an enormous educational opportunity here um, to enable people to understand a little bit more about what racism is and what racism has done. Uh, The first time I heard heard this chant, uh, somebody sent it to me saying it was hilarious and... Uh, 
I genuinely felt like, you know, you said uh, we might be being disingenuous. Hopefully nobody thinks that. I thought, I felt like I'd been punched in the stomach when I was sent that chant. I was sent it by multiple different people telling me it was hilarious. Every time I was a little bit more heartbroken because you're like, oh, yep, this is what people still think. And uh, it's real sad and it's racist. All right. Well, I think uh, we've made our position extremely clear there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let us move on to some uh, Twitter questions. Uh you have been taking a Twitter break, so um yeah. for about the first time ever. Uh, we're going to see whether I can actually do <laughs> questions on Twitter and not totally screw it up. I I'm not sure about that one. Um <laughs> we'll we'll uh, we'll have a go, shall we? So, friend of the show at JSF underscore seven says, How's my ball Paul doing? <laughs> um, I'm good. Cheers, Jay. I'm good. I hope you're well too. Very good. Um, at underscore Tommy A asks, Have you ever seen a ghost? Uh, no, I've never seen a ghost. I can only imagine, Ed, that uh, you are extremely skeptical of anything to do with the paranormal. So, it's not even really worth asking you. What's the, what's the creepiest experience you ever had, though? Creepiest experience? Hmm. Yeah. Do you ever, 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 ever get a little bit of chills that made your kind of intense scepticism uh, weaken for a second? No. <laughs> no. No. Um, Alex Ferguson used to call Meza Ozil the ghost uh, because of the way he <laughs> drifted around the pitch. I think it's because, uh, uh, like, uh, like ghosts, uh, his performances just don't really exist. Anyway, um, let's move on from that one. Uh, is Ashley Young the world's best left back? Asked uh, Werner Dale in his second question of the um, of the afternoon. I mean, he's got to be up there, right, as part of the conversation. I mean, no, he's obviously not the world's best left back, but. I mean, I think his performances in general at both left and right back since Van Hal in his infinite wisdom decided that that was a thing worth trying have been way better on average than anyone would have predicted before that happened. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, does a job. Um, all right, being a bit more serious, uh, at Lucas underscore M United asks, who do you rate more, Marshall or Rashford? Have we had this one recently? I don't like this question. It upsets me. I know. You've got to pick one. I mean, you know, it, I'm not making the rules. Okay. We, we give this time to the listeners. You've got to pick. I mean, I, no I pick Martial it. if I've got to pick one. I, I, and Rashford's oh. a brilliant, brilliant player and I love him. You've re- you big <laughs> racist. That's just because he's French. I mean, listen, it is a bit because he's French, but... Um, Rashford's from Withenshaw, which obviously makes me predisposed to liking him. Um, I think that they are... I think this is a really unnecessary comparison, first of all. I really think it's like, well, let's just enjoy both of them. I I think Martial has slightly more to his game right now. But on the other hand, Rashford's kind of big match call and his ability as a centre forward is just like incredibly impressive. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd be be tempted to think a bit cynically about the question, um, except for they are doing a job share at the moment. So I think it's a fair one. Um, Okay, so what's your what's your answer, by the way? Uh, well, I'm going to pick Rashford right now. Right right now. Okay. Is that just so we have one eight? Yeah, maybe. I, I, actually, I think the fair. underlying talent might be with Martial. Although I think Rashford's going to go on and have an awesome career. Um, but um, there's just something a little bit special about anti-Martial. Um, so, if Andy Cole was a one-in-three chance guy, ask Gigi, Gigi Bambino, uh, do you know what I mean when I say this? Uh, is Mickey a one-in-three good decision type guy? Actually, <laughs> I think there's something in this. I mean, look, I think um, it's, it's not necessarily makes bad decisions, but he does take risks on the pitch, and I do like that because he's going to get really good numbers as a result in terms of, you know, chances created uh, and actual assists and probably goals as well. But he's going to frustrate, and that might be why he's playing in the centre and not out wide. Yeah, I really uh, love the question. It's a very funny phrased question. Um, yeah, I think his decision-making is generally fine. He doesn't tend to lose the ball because he makes bad decisions. He tends to lose the ball because there's one too many touches. I mean, not even one too many, but one of his touches goes loose. You know, that's what's been happening lately is the first or second touch, normally second touch, goes mm. a bit loose on these runs. Yeah, um, it does. Yeah, I think he could definitely tighten up his game. I, I, look, I don't mind him, mind him taking risks, and I think that's a good thing. I think you mm-hmm. do need some players like that, especially in a Jose team, um, when it can be a bit, um, hmm, bit on the tight side sometimes. Um, oh, the 
Sorry, go, sorry, go on, go on, go on. The, 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 the one thing I was going to say about the Southampton game and performance that I didn't say is, you know, really and truly the performances while Pogba's out, I, I just care about us scraping through these games. Yeah, well, no, I mean... I don't don't lose lose pace with the runners while Pogba's out. That's, you know, that's the... Because he is... He elevates United so much um, by yep. being around. And, and I, I think Mkhitaryan is obviously like a huge onus on him when Pogba's not around. Yeah, I think that's fair. Oh, I mean, and naturally, and this isn't a knock, naturally you're going to look at Fellaini and he's playing in uh, a more controlling role. And he and he, he just doesn't have that, you know. He's actually been playing well, not today. Yeah, <laughs> he had a good he had a good game last week. Um, so uh, he, you know, he he has been playing well. He he is changing the narrative uh, in terms of what people think about him. Um, but if you want someone to get their foot on the ball um, and do sensible things with the ball, um, both in an attacking sense, uh, progressively, and and just you know knocking it sidewards, then Fellaini's not going to be your man, unfortunately. And and it will mean that United are much much poorer in midfield for it. And we saw that uh, quite a bit of it today. Anyway, um, at Rodri underscore uh, two underscore W asks, which season will Rashford break Rooney's goal scoring record? <laughs> now, we've definitely had that one before. Um, I reckon we're on for 2025, 26. <laughs> but it's an optimistic question, isn't it? Uh, at Volley underscore Junkie says, uh, what would Jose's favourite tea be? I think he's a Lapsang Souchon man. Do you think he likes the kind of smoked flavour that comes with that? Do you think he likes the kind of slightly insipid tea, like an Earl Grey, or a very solid, robust builder's tea? No, no, uh, Phil Jones takes the builder's tea. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not having any other answer except for Phil Jones on builder's tea. Oh, uh, Swan Matters drinking the Earl Grey. Um, NQAT. Um, so then you've got Phil Jones on the builder's tea. Uh, I, I give I give Jose a lapsang sushi and see how he hangs. Yeah, very good, very good. Um, all right, couple couple more, and then we'll move on. Uh, uh, friends of the show at Stephen Simon, Simon Stevens. Um, what's your quarterly take on this week's quarterly review? I guess this one's directed at me. Although it sure is, uh, on, I'm sitting right back. <laughs> honestly, anyone could answer this one. Uh, gangbusters United are growing gangbusters. So um, record turnover, record EBITDA, you know, cash basically. Um, uh, record growth in commercial and broadcasting. Uh, wages up, sort of low double digits, um, and not unsurprising. I mean, a few big earners have come off. Uh, I'm not sure they'll be in this quarter, though. Um, but, uh, you know, generally wages going up as new contracts are signed and so on uh, and bonuses for Champions League and that type of thing. Um, so, yeah, great, great quarter for United. Uh, gross debt is about the same. I think it's got to the point we can now say that the Glazers are kind of happy with the amount of debt that United has uh, and aren't really interested in paying down any more particularly. We'll, we'll see. They haven't sold off any shares for a while now. Um, uh, net debt is quite a bit lower, but that's just because United have got a lot of cash in the bank at the moment. Um, so much as Andy Green... Um, uh, said uh, a couple of years ago now, forecasting United's uh, cash flow would uh, reach more than 150 million EBITDA per year. It's gone past that, and um, I think United in a very, very healthy position could could easily pay off the debt if the club wanted to. Um, uh, but uh, you know they're happy with the leverage at the moment, so um, you know all, all good on the financial front. So can you give us a quick economics 101 of why you would keep some debt on the books? You can write off the interest payments. Um, uh, sometimes debt is cheaper than equity if you're really looking to release cash. Uh, really depends on what part of the economic cycle you're in for that one. That's a very complicated question of which oh, several Nobel Prizes have been won. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, you know, d- depends on the economic cycle. Right, right now, um, debt's cheap. Debt's really right. cheap. Um, if uh, if in a you know post a new financial meltdown world where debt wasn't cheap, you might actually want to release some of the equity, pay off the debt. Uh, it'd probably be cheaper. Typically speaking, equity is very expensive. I'm painting some really broad brush strokes, uh, and there are several Nobel Prize winning economists spinning in their graves. <laughs> there's there's at least one economist listening to this podcast. At least one, and I, I'm I'm going to guess there's more than that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, a really simple summary is United are doing great um, financially at the moment, and that's why the club can go spend a lot of money. Could 
could actually spend a lot more money. So Griezmann in January, is that what we're saying? Well, why not? Diego Costa has gone back to Atletico. Um, Griezmann's been playing up front. So mm, do you move him or do you just move him? Know what I mean? Oh, it's exciting. Although, although, my goodness, where on earth do you put Antoine Griezmann in the current Man United setup? Like, that is clearly not a player that this team currently desperately needs. But Why anyway. are you playing where Mkhitaryan's playing and Mkhitaryan goes wide right or, you know, into the rotation? We drop one matter over at heat. They can pry him from my cold, dead hands, Ed. <laughs> uh, last question. At Gary underscore 1105 says, do you think it's good for everyone to take a Twitter sabbatical once in a while? Uh, my my genuinely sincere and serious answer to this question is uh, it should be taught on the uh, syllabus as absolutely crucial. Um, information overload is a genuine psychological problem, uh, not 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 a not an invented twenty um, first century. Well, it's obviously a twenty first century phenomenon, but it's a very real problem. We're not designed to have drip feeded constant external uh, stimulus going into our brains. Uh, it generates a lot of anxiety and all round not particularly good for you. I was going to say I'm quite happy to look at a couple of computers and a couple of phones and the TV all at the same time. Uh, but then again, I can't sleep. So maybe the things are linked. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was, <laughs> I was just got my next question, Ed, was going to be, how are you sleeping at the moment? <laughs> yeah, not great. Not great. Anyway, will we, will we be sleeping better after Manchester United's trip to Moscow? Um, a fine win in the first uh, round of the Champions League over Basel, pretty easy. Uh, I think after that, I got a bit of hubris and said United will walk this uh, this group. Um, I'm now thinking that uh, away to Moscow without Paul Pogba might be a little tough. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, finally, a team we actually know something about. Um, having our midweek previews uh, so far have been of Basel and Burton Albion, and I couldn't have told you. Uh, basically a single fact about either of them. But Moscow, um, we played twice um, two seasons ago when for work I was still doing regular game previews so I was looking down the who scored uh, squad list of Moscow I was like oh I recognise all of these players they don't seem to have had a great deal of t- turnover one of the fascinating things is their manager whose name I haven't got in front of me um, Victor Goncharenko there you go um, he is it's 12 yeah he's younger than me it's not okay <laughs> that is not okay He's in. He's he's been managing. He was manager of Bati Borisov from 2007, at which point he was 30. Um, so uh, he's born on the 10th of June 1977. So he's not much younger than me, like less than two months. But still, that that's uh, that is a problem. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about some of their players then. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Uh, who uh, who must be about eighty now, but uh, has been playing for at least fifty years. He's only thirty-one, which I, amazing, that was weird. Amazing. Was he like twelve when he got in the team? Yeah, he must have been because he's been around for a long time. Alan Jagoyev, of course. Yeah, big creative long, force. long links with big clubs. Never, never quite made it. Yeah, uh, out of Moscow. I mean, uh, assuming his uh, his pay package is pretty good because uh, he could have moved. I'm sure if he really wanted to, didn't quite do it. Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Russia is not necessarily a country where all their best players necessarily move abroad, is it? There's a kind no, of... that's true. It's true. Um, and uh, it'll be an interesting away day for United fans. So I think I think the club's actually paying for the visas or something like that. I think they did this last time as well, which is a uh, is good on the club. I mean, a long old trip, sort of five hour flight out to Moscow, and uh, they'll be playing at the VEB Arena. Did we play there last time? I can't remember. Um, it's a fairly new one. 
that was um, only built a few years ago. Yeah, I believe we did Martial scored there, of course, in a one-all yeah. draw. Um, That's right. Uh, the, the Martial hopefully will play again. He played up front in that game. Uh, he won't hmm. obviously play up front because I'm sure Lukaku will, will play. Um, when they came to uh, United, there were very few away fans. I think they just had, you know, the little away fan overflow bit next to where yeah. they are. I think they just had the overflow uh, last time. But I think there were a good a good few travelling Reds, um, people that got the train and all, all sorts uh, last time. But that, that's obviously... Very good. Yeah. I mean, it's a fascinating club, really, because it's, you know, it's one of the old Soviet clubs, yeah. the uh, former army club, I think, uh, CSKA, Central Sports Club of the Army, so, whatever that actually is in Russia. I was listening to uh, uh, the excellent Talking Tactics podcast the other week, and they explained that CSKA means army, Spartak means uh, leisure centre, gym type organisations, and mm-hmm. Dynamo means police. That was very right. interesting. Right, yeah. Um, and depending on which uh, which uh, head of the party was in charge at the time, depending <laughs> on who won. Uh, the um, This is apropos of nothing. The chair, uh, the chairman of CSK Moscow, Moscow is the head of the Russian, uh, is the head of the financial group for the Russian Football Association. That's it. That's just a piece of information apropos of nothing mm. out there on its own. Hmm. Well, uh, since we're talking about uh, associations and that kind of thing, thing in governance, we'll move on from the Champions League just for a brief moment. Um, bit of a problem at the FA at the moment. I mean, you know, really could have said this at any point last year or the year before or the year before that. I mean, uh, talk about an organisation that is not fit and proper. Um, the uh, the manager of the England women's side, very successful England and very good England women's side, um, sacked this week, not because uh, of uh, racist comments made against, uh, allegedly, I guess we have to say, uh, to England players, uh, but because uh, he was, um, uh, let's say, uh, making friends with his uh, uh, a team he coached at Bristol a few years ago in the most inappropriate circumstances. I... I haven't been following this story. It sounds it sounds terrible. These are the kind of things you miss if you take time off Twitter. Yeah. Well, let's just say, like, you know, if you had a male manager of a female team, or I mean, honestly, any mix of any anything, but manager, or indeed not. Yeah, exactly. Ma- manager and player. Not exactly an appropriate sexual relationship, is it? Uh, but uh, this appears to have been what happened. Um, and although he was uh, given the OK in terms of safeguarding, as you know, he's not a nonce, the FA committee in charge of looking at this said at the time. Um, uh, is that the language they use? Safeguarding is no, the language. I mean, no, yeah, OK, right. Uh, no, apparently the report talked nonsense. Come on, sorry, just went all Chris Morris for a second there. Um, you're, just, you're just proving that you're not obsessed by political correctness. No, no, I'm definitely not, but you know, no. depend depends what's important, right? Um, yeah. So yeah, um, finally the the chairman of the FA is taking a look at this report two years later and gone, um, whoops, I think we may have made a mistake here, lads. Um, and of course, the biggest mistake being the total, total absence of leadership, uh, because he's going to have to go, Martin Glenn, and probably a number of the executive committee will have to go too. And in fact, and I think I've said this before in this pod, um, I'm, I'm not normally one for government intervention, especially in our beautiful game, but on, on this occasion, it absolutely desperately needs to be because this is an organisation that cannot reform itself. Interesting. Yeah, uh, that'll be... Be interesting to see how all that plays out, and you, we, I mean, we've seen various different chairs of the FA, even in the lifetime of this podcast, haven't we? And they've all come in for various different sorts of criticism for a, a variety of failings. Obviously, the attention is always on the England men's national team's um, performance as the sort of barometer for success or otherwise of the FA, but it absolutely shouldn't be, should it? There's a, a much broader remit there. Mm. Yeah, well, it's um, it's an organisation that doesn't look like. I mean, look, I work for a um, a multinational organisation that deals with a lot of complexity, um, and I can tell you, we're definitely we, we know you're a, we know you're a spy. <laughs> yeah. We all know you're a spy. <laughs> um, we deal with the, that kind of complexity and um, multiple interests in a far superior and more professional way than the FA does. Uh, I have to say, this is a really, really poor organisation, um, and it just can't fix itself. 
You know, if I was the sports minister, I'd say enough is enough for the for the benefit of all. Uh, we're going to take this over until uh, a new organisation can be formed that will actually, uh, in a professional uh, way, fit for the 21st century, look after the game. Well, I guess that's a, that would take a great deal of political capital. The kind that you would get if, you know, an immensely popular uh, leader was elected on a wave of optimism in a in an upcoming general election you know what i'm saying yeah yeah i don't think boris <laughs> is there yet though <laughs> or ever hopefully um so yeah um that's uh that's a total mess anyway let's let's move on there's another game after the the yeah. moscow game i mean um hopefully united come back fresh from a, a standard 4-0 win when we get back on track uh and there is a game next weekend at home to crystal palace are we going to this one ed we're actually taking the rank cast on tour not literally but me and you are going to go to the football yeah that's exciting um the uh the last game at home to palace was one of the most fun of the season. It was a, a reserves game with Paul Pogba r- returning as a reserves alumni allowed to play on special dispensation. The wave that he gave to Old Trafford as he came off the pitch just after, just before half time, um, after having scored a goal and absolutely bossed it, was really, really enjoyable. Um, Josh Harrop scored that great goal. Demi Mitchell put in a, a real fine performance. Scott McTominay was excellent. And uh, Wayne Rooney said goodbye to Old Trafford. He did. He did. Uh, now, Palace. They lost again. One of the... Well, they got absolutely smashed by Manchester City. One of the worst teams in the Premier League for some time. And and it's odd because they shouldn't have been. But, I mean, talking about mismanagement, I, I don't get this, right? They appointed Frank de Boer, who was obviously completely different uh, to Sam Allardyce. In every possible way, you know, a, a, a thinker's coach, a tactician, deep tactician, one who play in very specific ways, overcoaches his players, um, you know, to win. Van Hal-esque. Van Hal-esque, to within inches of where they need to be on the pitch. Um, so you do that and then you give the guy four games and then sack him. Now, you could say, well, the players couldn't get on with him. He's not what we thought he was. But where's the due diligence? Uh, or you can go, well, we panicked and we sacked the guy after four games. Does that make any sense when you're making a significant change? I just cannot square this circle <laughs> we had to... about what Palace... We had this exact conversation, didn't we? About <laughs> yeah, last what, week. What Palace are doing here. It makes no sense to me whatsoever. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's bizarre. And, and as has been widely pointed out, this is not an original thought, but why would you do it then? So Roy Hodgson has got to come in and play City, then United, then a bunch of other, like they've got, they've got other tough games ahead of them. Uh, it's ridiculous. Um, it's terrible timing for, for Hodgson. He's obviously going to come in and get just hammered over and over again. I, I, what was the, sc- I didn't see the final score in the City five, game. Five nil, <laughs> five nil to City. Right. Uh, play, play, well, play us next weekend and play Chelsea the weekend <laughs> after that. Go. So it's a bit annoying that City won 5-0 when we only won 1-0. So they're they're now top of the league. So basically we have to beat Palace 5-0. That's the minimum acceptable requirement. Yeah, it, it is. Although City play Chelsea next weekend. So um, someone will drop yeah. points. Okay. Well, we... Hopefully, hopefully yeah, both. Hopefully both. Um, I mean, we really are in a position where this league is going to be won by consistency, I think. I mean, that's kind of a ridiculously route one obvious thing to say. But I think that the team that can hold it together the longest is going to win the league. And it, at the moment, City look completely unstoppable. But they looked completely unstoppable at this stage last season. It would seem logical to think that they've kind of um, dealt with some of the issues that cost them so much in the middle period of last season. But we'll see. that The, the jury is still somewhat out. Um but as it kind of is for United, because that performance against Southampton was really, really underwhelming. Although, and, you know, the Everton game. Oh, you know, I um, I asked Michael Cayley to uh, split his XG map uh, into, because the overall XG map for United against Everton was like, yeah, United absolutely battered them. But if you look at the 80th, naught to 80 minutes versus the last 10 minutes, yeah. there's a very different story told um, in those games, because uh, it was pretty close up to the 80th minute. Uh, uh, but anyway, um, yeah, well, you know, we weren't great against Everton. We're brilliant against Burton, but it's only Burton. Um, and then we were we were pretty, pretty poor. So that's Southampton. Last week we had a question about can we keep riding our luck? Well, we rode it a lot more this weekend than last. Um, 
But yeah, you can't. Yeah. I mean, it's to take quite a leap of imagination to assume it's going to come unstuck against Palace at home. It's not. They're terrible. They're terrible. And, and <laughs> uh, they are, you know, and uh, I mean, you know, they've shifted Fosu Mensah out to right back now. Uh, and he'll do fine now. And I guess he's probably less exposed uh, playing there. But, um, you know, they're a mess at the back. They're a mess through midfield. Uh, and they're, they're not getting any ball to Benteke out front. Look, you know, on paper, they've got plenty of decent players in that team, um, but they're so desperately short of confidence at the moment. Um, and, you know, they didn't give De Boer anywhere near long enough if he was going to implement Van Gaal-esque tactics, or they just picked the wrong guy. And um, as a result, they've they've shot the confidence of some actually very good players. You know, if you just run down the list, Hennessy, decent goalkeeper, played for Wales plenty of times. No. Decent, he's I'm decent. I'm that. Hennessy's bad. <laughs> Hennessy's a bad goalkeeper. <laughs> he's decent. Um, Dan and Sacco, I mean, Sacco is a decent Central defender, yep. yeah. Van Aanholt has been, you know, has had a good career at left back. Kabai, yep. good player. Townsend, hot yep. and cold. Loftus Cheek, <laughs> yeah, very hot and cold. Loftus Cheek, rated very highly by people at Chelsea. Probably never make it at Chelsea. Jeffrey Schlup um, has some very good seasons at Leicester. Benteke does score goals, right? This is better than a bottom, um, bottom three club. Much better than a way off the bottom club. Um, but I mean, shot with confidence. Missing Zaha, obviously, he, he is their best player, and so he is a, he's a big miss being out. We get the benefit that so many teams have often got against us uh, in recent times of of having one of our loanees playing for them. Like one of their best defenders is our loanee, and they can't they can't play him against us, but they can against everyone else. So bonus. Yes, I actually think that's a rule that should be changed. Um, I, I don't yeah. think there are too many players would be. Oh, well, I'm going to fuck it up now for my parent club. It doesn't work like that. But, but Timothy Fossumenta definitely would because he is red. That boy is red. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, comfortable win for United, I think, next weekend. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Okay, so uh, I'm going to go 2-1 in Moscow, 4-0 Palace, obviously, standard 4-0. <laughs> yeah, well, I might as well stick with the 4-0 against Palace and it's going to be a one-all draw okay, in Moscow. That's uh, pretty, pretty conservative from United, I'd think. And uh, I think maybe Martial and Rashford will both play and will play on the break and maybe a little bit direct. They were good together against um, against Burton. Not, I think I'd said on the podcast it'd be nice to see them together and they, they did play together and they played well, so it's good. I think, is that going to do it for a week? We've had the roundups of the game, trying to address the inherent global inequalities. Uh, anything else on the list? No, I'm, uh, I think I'm done. I've had my rant about the FA and about that chant and about the various games. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling purged for the weekend. <laughs> okay, good. I uh, hope everyone has enjoyed the show. Um, I kind of, uh, on, part of me wants to say I'm sorry for it got heavy in the middle, but another part of me thinks... It's almost like a social responsibility to address this. Well, so. you know, I've been, uh, I've, I've, uh, you know, there's a theory, signal theory. You know, you people signal. Well, it's it's a mathematical uh, theory, but anyway, s- signalling the intent. Um, and uh, I've used this week to clean up my timeline significantly. <laughs> And we can purge the Rancaster Rancaster, Rancaster listener base too. So if you don't like what we were talking about and fundamentally disagree with us, you don't have to listen. It's all right, and we'll find out how many of them there were. (laughs) Yep, but um, anyway, uh, we'll be back with another one of these next week um, and uh, look forward to doing it as always. And it'll be, hopefully it'll be... um, it will be uh, recorded in the wake of a glorious victory against Crystal Palace and having yes. had a successful trip midweek. Yes, for the glory of the party <laughs> in <laughs> Moscow. <laughs> no, uh, that is a joke, folks. Um, uh, see you next week. See you next week. The Rankcast is produced by Tom Jenkins and supported by listeners like you. Head to patreon.com slash to find out more.